We welcome you this morning to First Church, and it's a delight to uh, welcome you in the Lord's presence today. Enjoy that singing this morning. It's been good, hasn't it? We've come to this place to worship our Heavenly Father, and I trust as you enter the spirit of worship today that your life will be blessed and will be encouraged because of that. To look across the congregation, I see several guests with us. We welcome you especially today to First Church. Take a moment. On the right-hand column of the worship folder, I think on the back side this time, there's a guest connection card. I'm getting some feedback. Uh, and with that, uh, complete that. Place it in the offering a little bit later in the morning. We would appreciate that very much. And uh, welcome several college students and family members as I look across the congregation visiting, I'm sure, for the holidays. It's great to have you with us today as well. Take a moment and look at news lines. Many things are taking place as we kind of cross over from one year to the next. Some new ministries beginning, some new activities uh, being planned. So encourage you to look over those items over carefully. Also in your worship folder, I hope you received the winter uh, discipleship brochure. Many, many classes, opportunities for education and small groups are starting uh, the first of the year. Read those over carefully. Uh, uh, as uh, Randy would say, rifle through this and uh, examine what's there. Uh, but uh, many opportunities. Let me highlight just a couple. Uh, First Church 101, some of you have been around a while, but maybe have never taken that uh, class. Uh, it's offered in three different modes coming up this coming year. So look that over carefully. Join me for one of those modes. Also, some of you have been wondering about Sunday school on Sunday morning. Uh, we've been uh, intentionally not having a lot of classes, but several. We're offering two new classes starting next Sunday morning. Uh, discipleship class uh, by Preston Sanders will be leading that. Also a study of Ecclesiastes uh, by Marsha Winnemackey and uh, Mary Beth Good. So a couple good studies coming up uh, as we begin to shift into the new year. Look those over carefully. Join us for one of those, uh, Just for Joy Women's Bible Studies and many other opportunities coming forth. Uh, be a part of that with us. We encourage you to join with us. Uh, Many other things, again, taking place uh, some in the news lines. Uh, be watchful of those and respond to deadlines and so forth if you would. Let's take a second this morning. This is our last time this year to stand and greet one another in the spirit of love. May we do that together? Good morning. It's nice to hear that buzz of friendship and welcoming one another. My name is Jim Schooneman. I'm the chairman of the advisory council here at First Church. And I suppose it's appropriate that as the last Sunday of the fiscal year, last Sunday actually of the year, that we kind of look in review of just what's gone on in our church family. We've been through a lot. We, uh, in, in last January, we had our beloved pastor, interim pastor Norm Patton, tell us that he was not going to spend another winter in St. Joseph, Michigan. So it kind of put a little bit of pressure on that public committee, although we know that was in God's hands and everything just kind of came through. During that period of time where we did call a pastor and we, we do have our new pastor in place, David Culp. In that meantime, in that interim time, we had our own pastor, Chris Spitters, come and give us a message about what was uh, on his heart that the Lord has put upon his heart about how we should look outside these four walls of what's going on in our community. And we should extend our Christianity, not just within an hour each week within our church, but put that focus outside of here. There's been a lot of enthusiasm, and a lot of people have already started that process. And I just want you to know that the advisory council, as well as the staff, have had several meetings during the month of December where we're putting in plan some things that we can do as a church family 
to put that into place that we are an externally focused church, that our things are just not within our church family. We have gone through a lot and you know, if you look at a history of churches that lose senior pastors and, and go through an 18 month period of time before they get a new pastor, there's a lot of things that kind of decline. Well, we're not the norm. That hasn't happened here. Things are going very well, things are progressing. A lot of that has to do with our volunteers. We have had people step up in all areas of need, whether it's in the childcare, whether it's in, in the uh, kids zone, whether it's in music, whether it's in any place. We've had a lot of people who have stepped up. And a lot of you out there are volunteers in some fashion, whether it's at you know, the, the welcoming center or greeters or the church parking ministry. And so at this time, if you are in any way a volunteer or have done some work within the church on your own, I'd like you to stand right now in front of everybody here. Would you just please stand, all you people who have done some work, and let's give them a great round of applause here. Thank you. We, we cannot function without volunteers. One of the persons that has stepped up into a great capacity is a person who loses their choir. That's Mr. Tim Bagby. And I'd like to have Tim come forward here. Tim, would you come out here, please? You know, it takes an awful lot of time to do what Tim and Kim do here every week. Uh, it's a lot of dedication. As an example, this Christmas when Tim and Kim put on the Christmas presentation, they went through, I think, 18 different scenarios or 18 different plays before they picked the one they did. Now, going through 18 different scores, looking at 18 different, you know, plays takes a lot of time. But this is where his passion is. You know, we tried to say, well, Tim would like to bring you on and, and give you some remuneration for what you do. And he says, no, I'm doing this because I love what I'm doing and I love this church. That's the type of volunteer that's just so close to our hearts. And we can give him just a small presentation of our gratitude here as, as on, on behalf of the Advisory Council and of our church. Thank you very much for your time. I don't get surprised very often. It just happened. Um, if, if I guess if all of you understood um, my story and Kim's story, our family, you would understand that this church has given back to us uh, in, in multitudes more than we could ever possibly give. And of course, you know, when we think of this time of year, um, it being Christmas time and you know, the greatest gift of all, Jesus being given to us, nothing compares to that anyway. Um, Kim and I love music. Uh, we love uh, helping out best we can, and uh, we're going to continue doing the best we can in, in time to come. So thank you for the gift. Uh, thanks for the opportunity, and um, let's enjoy worshiping together. Thanks. Father, it's a joy to be in this place this morning, to worship you, to come 
into your presence as you have come into ours. Father, in the silence of these moments, we still our hearts. Our minds pause at a busy time of year to reflect upon your goodness and your grace. Father, we're grateful today for your Son, Jesus Christ, and his continued presence with us, making a difference in the way we live our lives and the way that we sense your joy and your peace and your comfort and your presence in such a powerful way because of that relationship with your Son. Father, we thank you today that we are your children, that we can come to you in prayer and lift our hearts, our minds, our attention towards you. As we think about this last year, I know that as we stand before you, Lord, this morning, there are times in each of our lives when we have fallen short, when we have sinned, when we have turned our back towards you and done things with the way we wanted to do them. We've ignored your will. We've ignored your instructions and your... your Father, we recognize those times today. We ask today, Father, that you would forgive us of those times when we have turned our thoughts, our minds, our attitudes, our behaviors against your will. Lord, come to our hearts today and cleanse us. Forgive us of those times. Father, as we turn to you and look to the fullness of a new year, Father, we would just pray today that you would enter our spirits today in a powerful way, that we would open our lives to you, that we would seek to fulfill your dreams, your wishes in our lives as individuals and as a church family. We thank you today for the opportunity we have of worshiping you. Father, as we yield our lives to you today, make a difference. May we seek your presence. May we seek your grace. May we seek your comfort and peace. Bless us today, we pray in your name. Amen. I like to walk up while they're still clapping for her because it makes me feel like you're clapping for me. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Oh, that's so nice. Well, it's the sixth day of Christmas today. How many of you thought the 12 days of Christmas were the 12 days leading up to Christmas? They're actually the 12 days after So, happy, merry sixth day of Christmas. Who remembers what the guy got from his true love on the sixth day of Christmas? Six geese Elaine? Okay. I don't know why I asked that. I was just wondering. I actually have a a little Christmas quiz for you, okay? So, take out your pen and uh, grab that piece of paper inside your bulletin that has the wrong sermon title on top of it. And you can jot down your answers here. See how good you are with your Christmas knowledge. In the Christmas story found in the first chapter of Luke, who is the first woman to experience miraculous conception? Just write your answer down there. Number two, what is the name of her husband who was visited by an angel? And number three, What was the name of their child? Okay, who said Mary, Joseph, and Jesus? You're wrong. (laughs) That was kind of a trick question. Um, Actually, you know, this, this is a part of the Christmas story that's often overlooked. These first few verses in, uh, in Luke are actually about 
a relative of Mary's. What's her name? Elizabeth. Elizabeth, yes. And her husband's name? Good. And their baby? John, who was later called the Baptist. He didn't come out the Baptist. (laughs) (laughs) So let's take a look at this story. It's uh, the overlooked part of the Christmas story. It's a interesting, miraculous, and mysterious wonder of Christmas kind of story. So it's a long one, but it's so interesting. I think you'll stay with me. Here we go. Starting with verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being uh, burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken. If, if that were me, I wouldn't remember that it was to the right of the incense altar. I would just, ah, can you imagine? It's Gabriel, too. Gabriel, like big warrior angel. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, hey, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, "Um, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, Lord of the Rings style. Do you remember when the, yeah, her. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, He couldn't speak to them. Then they realized with his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Now you have heard 
the ignored first little part of the Christmas story. Pretty cool story. Lots of interesting things going on there. Zechariah and Elizabeth, try to put yourself in their place, going through all these years of disgrace. Not just disappointment, you know, not just desires unmet, but actually disgrace. Because at that time, people who were barren were looked at as if they were being punished by God. They must have done something wrong. It's not true, but that's what people thought at that time. So they must have put up with a lot of stares and whispers behind their back and looks of pity. And now, here they are, ready to experience the joy of becoming parents. Now, some of you know what it's like uh, to not have children. Some of you um, have been able to have, unable to have children, and that's been the cause of, of pain and disappointment. Others of you have had children, and that has been your source of pain and <laughs> disappointment. But, no, just kidding. I don't mean to make light of that. Um, children are a blessing, and seriously, some of us re- really can understand the pain they were going through and the joy they must have felt when the time came when they finally were able to have a child. Imagine this happening today. Imagine inviting grandma and grandpa over for dinner. Well, grandkids, we've got some exciting news. (laughs) In nine months, grandma's going to give birth to your uncle. (laughs) Wow. God is just really funny sometimes. But what an example of his power and his perfect timing and his sense of humor. Here's the point that really just hit me from this story. What was it like for Zechariah and Elizabeth to be called and chosen by God to bring into this world the child that would become the prophet that would prepare the way for Jesus? What must that have felt like to be chosen? And why? Why did God choose them? What was so special about them? Doesn't it make you a little bit curious? And do you ever wonder yourself if you'll be chosen for something great? Something awesome that could only be done through the miraculous power of God? Do you ever wonder, what's my purpose? What am I doing here? Isn't there something more to life than going through the motions every day? We make our lists and we keep ourselves busy. We try to get good grades if you're in school or bring home a good paycheck if you're at work. And we stay so busy maybe, maybe to hide the fact that we're unsatisfied or a bit bored. or Maybe we just don't feel very useful. Do you ever wonder if there's some adventurous life meant for you that you have yet to discover? Some deeper spiritual place you can get to with God? A richer life of following Christ, walking in the Spirit, hearing His voice, seeing prayers answered, having visions from God? 
seen the miraculous intervention of God in your life? This life that's so adventurous that it demands courage and faith and dependence on God. Does it seem like there ought to be more miracles? More something? I felt that way at times. Maybe you can relate. Many people, probably I would say most people, live very ordinary, average lives that really don't see much of the miraculous. So why does God choose some people for an exciting, adventurous, miraculous life and others seem to just miss out? Maybe we can discover some answers to to these questions as we look deeper into the story. Why did God choose Zechariah and Elizabeth? Why does God choose some people to do great things? Is it all just God's random choosing? What is our part in the process? Do we have to do something to get chosen? Do we have to raise our hand in the air and say, choose me, God, pick me? Let's take a look. I noticed personally two things that jumped out at me about Zechariah and Elizabeth. The first one uh, comes from verse 6. So let's look at verse 6. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. Now, a lot of you guys are into sports. You probably are familiar with some of the great coaches. Some coaches are really good at recruiting. You know, others excel like on the field, making calls and stuff. But some coaches are just great at finding the right players. And if you're, a, you know, if you're an athlete, you know you got to do certain things to get noticed by the coaches. All right, here we see, you know, God is going on his recruiting trip. He wants to go recruit the couple that's going to give birth to the prophet that's going to prepare the way for Jesus. Pretty important recruiting trip. And who catches his eye? It's Zechariah and Elizabeth. There was something special about them God took notice. They were righteous in God's eyes. Not self-righteous. Not righteous in their own eyes. They were righteous in God's eyes. God saw their desire to do what was right. And notice the scripture says that they were careful to obey. It wasn't necessarily easy or second nature to obey. They had to take great care to be obedient. Unlike the flippant attitude you sometimes see towards obedience to God, some would pick out the commandments that are simple, that fit into our lifestyle, that uh, are easy to follow, and we focus on those, and ignore the very commandments or challenges that would truly challenge our life and call us to sacrifice, and call us to make decisions. Zechariah and Elizabeth were careful to follow all of God's commands. They took, heart, they took to heart what the prophet Samuel said. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Now, Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah and Elizabeth were from a long line of priests. So he knew all about the whole sacrifice thing. He knew that you had to sacrifice when you messed up to appease God. Much like many people today who have an attitude that I need to go to church, say a few prayers, put some money in a plate, and make these few sacrifices to appease God. But actually, God is looking on his recruiting trip for followers who want to obey him when they walk out the doors by the way they live. Read these words, would you, out loud with me from John? This is love for God to... All right. Jesus tells us, or James, sorry, James tells us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What? Do what it says. So simple. So simple, but so true. Here's Jesus' words. If you love me, you will... Mm -hmm. He also said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not... Obedience. Zechariah and Elizabeth understood the importance of obedience. Now, does this mean they were perfect? Does this mean God won't choose me if I'm not perfect? I think it's a big no to both of those. As a priest, Zechariah understood that no one was without sin. That's why they had to make those regular sacrifices. So it's not about perfection. There was a sin offering made in the Old Testament. There was a sin offering made through Jesus Christ for us, knowing that we're not perfect. But what God saw as righteousness in Zechariah and Elizabeth was the condition of their heart. The condition of their heart was such that they desired with a passion to follow and obey the Lord. Doesn't mean they were always perfect, but that was their greatest desire. What does God see in our hearts? Does God see a genuine, sincere desire to obey? Now, along with obedience is another characteristic that jumps out to me. Um, it's kind of referred to here in verse 13. When, the, um, when Zechariah is shaken and overwhelmed with fear, when he sees the angel, the angel wants to make it clear why he's come. It's not to smote you with my fiery sword. I have come because God wants you to know he's going to answer your prayer. Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, even after getting very old, it seems they still held to this faith and trust in God. And they continued to go to him with their desire for a child. They certainly knew their Old Testament history. God has done this before. He's made really old people have babies <laughs> so he can do it again. 
So when most would have given up and allowed hopelessness to take over, they continued to pour out their hearts to God with trusting, faith-filled prayers. And why not? If we truly believe God's word, then we know that God wants to grant us the desires of our heart. It's from Scripture that we discover the heart of God is to give and provide. The Bible says that we do not have because why? Because we do not ask. We do not pray. We may offer up mealtime prayers, bedtime prayers, but what I'm talking about is the gut-wrenching, pour out your heart to God, be totally honest with God, kind of prayer. God is not interested in being viewed like Santa Claus where we write out our Christmas list and turn it in and look for it to turn up under the tree. He's not um, wanting to be viewed like a pop machine where you put in a couple quarters of prayer and you, you know, get out what you asked for. God desires intimacy with his children. And really, at the heart of prayer is a desire for intimacy. God wants us to come to him and look to him to provide. He wants to be close to us. Um, a guy came in last week wanting to talk to a pastor, and I was here, and I uh, made a new friend, and um, he poured out his heart, and what a sad story. Um, single dad bunch of circumstances that, you know, of course we won't go into, but basically the, what I want to tell you is this. Um, he's got two young daughters and um, they were taken away from him because of his life situation. And he gets to visit them twice a week. This guy wants his kids back. And I couldn't help but think, I hope he does. In fact, he needs a job, and if anybody knows, he'll do just about any kind of work. So if you know of a job opening, let me know. But I really wanted to tell you this story because he reminds me so much of God. You know, God doesn't want his kids that he just gets visitation with a couple times a week on Sunday and Wednesday. God wants intimacy with his children. He wants his children to live with him every day, every moment. And that's, I think, something that Zechariah and Elizabeth were experiencing with God, this intimacy. It's something that we all need to make sure we have. Two characteristics, obedience, intimacy. Could this be some of the things the recruiter was looking for when he looked for the parents of John the Baptist. Something I want to point out that, that this made me think about. You know, it seems like, it seems like there's a lot of people that have one or the other, but it's sometimes it's hard for some of us to put these both together like, like Zachariah and Elizabeth did. Some people... They're all about obedience, but they miss out on the intimacy. They are the religious ones. They know the list of do's and don'ts really well, and they pretty much stick to it. They stay very busy 
doing lots of good deeds. Probably see them around the church here a lot. There may have been a time when their prayers and their good deeds were motivated by love, but now it's just sort of out of habit and out of a sense of duty. Does that sound familiar at all? Sometimes there's really not a whole lot of emotion about their faith in Jesus. It's more about duty. Life as a Christian can really get rather boring with little passion, but they stick it out because they're committed to obedience. How sad. Then there's some people that have this intimacy with God, but they're lacking the obedience. They love Jesus because he forgives, he saves, he understands, he'll never forsake me or leave me. He forgives me over and over. I get to go to heaven because of him. They think about all these things that Jesus said, and yet they miss out on some of the other things Jesus said, like deny yourself, like take up your cross to follow me. They freely express love for God through worship and prayer. And at times they feel so much passion for Christ. And yet, during the week, they really don't find much time to read the Bible or apply what's in it. Their roller coaster ride with Jesus is probably boring too, because they never obey the Lord enough to see God work miracles in their lives. So when God went recruiting, I believe he chose Zechariah and Elizabeth maybe because they were obedient and they were intimate with God. Do you want to be chosen like they were? Would you like to be chosen? We all grow up wanting to be chosen. Do you remember standing against the fence when the two captains were picking teams? wanting so bad to be the next person chosen. Do you remember going to a school dance, hoping that certain someone would ask you to dance, choose you? Remember trying out for basketball or cheerleading and looking at that paper on the wall to see if you made the cut? We all spend a lifetime wanting to be chosen. As we grow older, it's more about scholarships and promotions and jobs. And when I was in high school, I wanted to be chosen. I tried out for this musical called The Music Man. And my brother always got the leads, and I was, I was pretty good. So I thought, I'm going to get this. I was so sure of myself I started memorizing all of Harold Hill's parts um, before tryouts. I still know it, by the way. I could do it for you right now. <laughs> well, you got trouble, my friend. Right here, I say trouble right here in River City. I'm on. <laughs> um, but I don't know. You can probably see where this is going. I didn't get it. I was not chosen. I was devastated. Of course, I acted like I didn't care. But I did care deeply. Maybe you've had experiences like that too. And if you've had that happen more than a few times, 
Maybe you've developed a, an attitude like, maybe I'm not worth choosing. Maybe even God won't choose me. You may say, I'm not good enough, I'm not talented enough, I don't have much to offer, I'm just an average person, nothing special. God wouldn't choose someone like me to do something great. If that is what you think, I want you to know that you are wrong. Look at the people Jesus chose. Matthew, probably one of the most hated people in the city, tax collector. Jesus chose him. Peter and all, most of those disciples were just ordinary guys, fishermen, not educated, just average, ordinary guys. The one educated person he chose was Paul. But Paul was like an enemy of Christianity. He's the last person anybody would think God would choose. But he did. God's ways are not our ways when it comes to choosing. God's ways really amaze me sometimes. God chooses you if you are weak, foolish, lowly, despised. In fact, God chooses you because of that. L look at this scripture. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. So there's hope. I am good enough <laughs> to be chosen by God. If you are foolish, you are wise enough. If you are weak, you are strong enough. He is not necessarily looking for people of position and power. He's very happy with lowly, humble people. He's not necessarily looking for popular persons, but uh, the despised, he chooses. There's hope for all of us. I am good enough to be chosen by God. I think it'd be good for all of us to say that together. Let's say that with a lot of confidence. I am good enough to be chosen by God. All right. Here's some advice for you. When God chooses you, don't avoid him. <laughs> don't waver. Don't doubt him. Look how uh, Zechariah doubted the words of the angel in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. How can I do anything great for God? I'm an old man. Or I'm just a little kid. Or I'm just in high school. I'm past my prime. I'm almost out of time. I don't even know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not strong enough. How many of us are just like Zechariah? Our excuses keep us from doing the adventurous, exciting things that God has for us. God chose me. When I was a freshman in high school, I was the shyest kid you have ever seen. I was not popular. 
I was not confident. If I would have, if anybody would have told me that one day I would stand up here in front of people talking or singing or anything like that, I would say, you're crazy. I think it would be more likely for a hundred-year-old lady to have a baby. <laughs> but God called me and I started to respond to him. And during those last few years of high school, God began to use me to prepare others to meet Jesus. And that was so exciting. If God can, you know, choose me to be a pastor, basically anybody here can do just about anything. <laughs> Let's not doubt him. God chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. People like you and me. I'm pretty certain that God is calling you right now. God wants to work through you to prepare others to know Jesus. Does that mean going to Africa? Maybe. Or maybe it means just being used in the lunchroom at school or the break room at work or making that walk across the street to a neighbor. We may be ordinary people, but what God wants to do through us is extraordinary, miraculous, amazing, something we could never do on our own. Isn't that what we really want? To see our life filled with the miraculous touch of God. Doesn't that sound exciting? To find that our existence really matters? <laughs> that God works amazing wonders through us? Do you want to be chosen? Do you want to do something great in 2008? I can't tell you the incredible things God wants to do through you. That's something that God will reveal to you. I can tell you that it will require all-out obedience. And it will require a deep intimacy with God. And it will require us to get out of our comfortable pews and elbow our way to the front and get our hand in the air and say, God, pick me, pick me. He is out recruiting. <laughs> and he's looking for you and he's choosing you. Let's respond to him. I want to give you this way to respond this morning. Um, you're going to see uh, three, different, three different sentences up here. Thoughts to get you started talking to God. So would you take these quiet moments um, and just begin to talk with God. Talk about these things. Talk about obedience. Talk about intimacy. Talk about being chosen. Thank you. 